How's everybody doing this morning? I've had like six cups of coffee. I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or caffeine, but I'm excited this morning. I don't know what to say. I was back there cleaning, and I realized I got to get out here and start talking. You said, "What are you doing?" I was cleaning up the bathroom back there. You know, I didn't use it or nothing. I want to make that clear. I was just cleaning it up and realized I need to get out here in a hurry. What's that? No, I don't want any more coffee. You good brother of mine. Oh man, if this is your first time here, thank you for coming and being a part of us. I hope you are blessed by being with us today. Let's get into our lesson. We're in a sermon series that's called Centerpiece. I don't know what you think uh, Christmas is about. Uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, Christmas programs is Charlie Brown Christmas. And I always, uh, every once in a while, I'll show the clip, you know, where Charlie Brown's so frustrated. And he goes, does anybody know the real meaning of Christmas? And Linus says, I know the real meaning of Christmas. And he drags his blanket out in the middle of the stage. And he goes, lights, please. And the lights come down. And then he starts quoting Luke 2. What a powerful, powerful moment. And, uh, and, he, and he quotes this verse here that we're going to look at. Look what this verse uh here up on the screen or in your notes if or it's up on the screen i'm sorry this particular one's the king james and he quotes it like this glory to god in the highest is what the angels say and on earth peace goodwill toward men now you read that passage out of the king james version and when the king james in 1611 was translated from the manuscripts and the latin vulgate and a lot of other uh religious materials available they didn't have as many manuscripts as we do today as many copies of copies and and lots of uh, research, lots of information. And when you read this translation, you get the impression that when Jesus came, He brought peace on earth, and it was going to bring peace to the earth between people. Uh, that's not really what that verse is saying. And a lot of times, you know, I, I look at this, and maybe you notice this, after Jesus came and after He left, the world's still not at peace. Have you noticed that? Last 2,000 years, we've had so much war and so much unrest, so much conflict, only 8% of the last 2,000 years have been moments that this world has had peace, experienced peace. That's 160-some years is all. Isn't that something? And so when you read this, you realize, wait a minute, Jesus isn't talking about you know, he's gonna, that when He gets here, that everybody's all of a sudden going to calm down and get along. It ain't going to happen. But He is talking about a peace that He is bringing. And it's a peace to those who please God. You know, he gives this peace. He makes it available to all of us. And, and you think about it, uh, he, 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 not everybody experiences God's peace. But He makes it available to all of us. Let's read it again. This is in your notes. This is, a, this is the International Children's Bible. And I just like the International Children's Bible, I guess because it, I can understand it. It says, Give glory to God in heaven and on earth. Let there be peace to the people who please God. So there's the condition. There's this promise that God wants to give us peace. All kinds of peace. But there's a condition to it. Will, will we be the people? Will we be a person who seeks to please Him? Jesus said these words in John 14. He goes, I give you peace. The kind of peace that only I can give. It isn't like the peace of the world like it gives. So don't be worried or afraid. And last week we talked about the two kinds of peace. The world, worldly peace, godly peace, peace from heaven, peace on earth. What's the difference between them? And if you haven't listened to that lesson, I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen to that and pay close attention to those points. But on Christmas, I want you to know Jesus, Jesus God uh, through His Son, brought 
three kinds of peace. And we, we talk about them. I mention them every year. First of all, there's peace within. That's emotional peace. Then there's peace with others. Relational peace. And then there's this one particular kind of peace that really matters the most, and that's peace with God. Spiritual peace. And today, that's what I want to talk about. Making peace with God. Because this is the most important kind of peace that you can have. Your peace within and your peace with people will be determined by the peace you have with God. It all starts there. So how do I make peace with God? Well, there's a passage in the Bible Jesus uses to talk. He's talking to a crowd of people, a large crowd, and it's time to talk about commitment. And it's a passage many of us here are familiar with here at Greater Alton. It's found in Luke 14. We're going to pick it up where he uses this illustration. And notice that the illustration is about peace. I never noticed this. It's really about peace. Peace with God. He says it this way. Suppose the king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. How do I make peace with God? What's Jesus teaching us here? He says there's these two kings and they're at odds with each other. And there's a conflict coming. There is a conflict, but but there's going to be a final battle. And one king has some power. Another king has more power. and, And he says, so doesn't the king with less power sit down and think about that and and when he realizes, maybe I'm, I'm outnumbered two to one, if I can't win this, maybe I should get some peace. So he sends somebody ahead to ask, what are the terms for peace? And then Jesus lays it down and says, and that's how it's going to be for you. If you want to be my disciple, you've got to surrender. And that will make the peace happen. So how do I find this peace? How do I make peace with God? I don't know if you're at peace with God this morning. Can I tell you this morning, I know a lot of you here, you're already Christians. You say, well, I'm at peace with God. I want you to reconsider that. Because peace with God doesn't naturally come from me. From from me toward God. Peace with God doesn't naturally... It's not natural for you to have peace with God. In fact, the world did nothing to find peace with God. God did all of it. He was the one that wanted peace more than we do. More than mankind did. We see that displayed on the cross. So how how do I find peace with God? Or how do I... Get this peace with God. I don't know where you are. Again, I don't know where you are. Maybe you're not at peace. There's something in your life, like we talked about last week, in that secret place, that secret life, that you know, and God only knows, and it's causing turmoil, unrest in your heart. Well, God wants you to have peace. He he brought peace on Christmas so you could have peace with Him. How do I do that? Number one, I acknowledge my conflict with God. Again, he talks with these two kings. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king when he first sit down and consider whether he's able 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. And Jesus is talking about it to a crowd of people and he's telling them basically, hey folks, you have a conflict. The disciples are in that group and he's telling them, you have a conflict. You may not even be aware of it. And it's like two kings. Why are they two kings? Well, they both have power. They both have power. I was reading one guy, he was saying that he thinks the two kings are man, you and I, 
and Satan's the other king. I went, what? Where does he get that? No, he's talking about two kings there, but Satan's not in this one. No, these two kings are between you and God. Me and God. Those are the two kings. And like two kings, we both possess power. You possess the power of choice. That's something nobody can take away from you. It's the most powerful thing you possess as a person. Power of choice. And you choose every day what you want to do and you face the consequences of those choices just like everybody else. But your power, like this king with 10,000, my power, like this king with 10,000, is so limited. We have power. We don't have all power. We don't have the most power. No, there's another king and he has the most power. So much more that it makes me think maybe if I had a conflict with him, I probably couldn't win. I'm outnumbered two to one. See, I'm surprised. Personally, I'm surprised at the number of people that aren't aware they have a conflict with God. It baffles me. They live basically any way they want, basically do whatever they want, basically, with a mediocre, casual relationship with God and expect their miracle on 34th Street or this wonderful life. And they have no idea that they're having some kind of problem with God. A minister one time walked into a hospital. A man was dying. He was on his deathbed. And he simply said to him, he says, hey, have you made your peace with God? And as a minister, I've said that to people before on their deathbed. Have you made your peace with God? And the fellow said, I didn't know we had a problem. He wasn't even aware of it. I was reading an article this week about divorces among people over 65. It's growing. Epidemic proportion. It's growing crazy. Harder and harder to be married after 65. We call it the gray divorce movement. And what's happening is these, these people are finding out. Wives and husbands. Are, I, I read an article where a, a, a wife divorces her husband because she said it really came down to he couldn't hear me anymore. He literally couldn't hear me. I got tired of repeating myself. And I asked him if you could choose between riding your motorcycle, which he hadn't ridden in five years, and getting new hearing aids, sell that thing, and get some hearing aids, what would you do? And he he heard that. He goes, oh, definitely I'd ride my motorcycle. And she filed for divorce the next day. Blindsided him. I didn't know there was a conflict. And that's the way we are. We're kind of clueless sometimes. We get fired. I didn't know there was a problem. I thought I was doing a good job. No, you suck. Out. Well, I thought I was going to get a raise. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. That's actually happened to me. I, I've actually let people go thinking they're coming in to get a raise and I haven't let them go and they look at me like, what? They're not even aware. And some people, again, we're, sometimes we're not even aware of this conflict we're having with God. And you might say, no, I don't know if I like this, what you're talking about here, Tim. I don't like it either, okay? I'll be honest with you. Because when we start talking this way, it sounds so judgmental, doesn't it? That sounds harsh. Where do you get off telling me I have conflict with God? Okay, fine. I have conflict with God. And I think there's sometimes I have conflict with God and I'm not even aware of it. And a lot of times what happens is we refuse to even consider if there's a problem between the two of us. Because we're so busy doing our own junk, our own stuff, that we're not thinking about much of anything else. 
It's almost like this Jeremiah passage we looked at last week. Let's look at it, let's look at it again. He's talking about the prophets there. They treat the wound of my people as if it were nothing. All is well, all is well, they insist, when in fact nothing is well. Can I say it doesn't necessarily be a leader that does this? I can do this personally. You can do this personally. I'm fine. Everything's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Everybody's okay. When it's not okay, there's something wrong. Why? Because, because peace with God doesn't come from me naturally or automatically. What I tend to do, oh, Danny t- does this little song, breaking the law, breaking the law. I hear him say that, like, breaking the law, breaking the law. I, I can't remember what song that is. You know it. Some of you rockers know that, you bikers. Breaking the law, breaking the law. Uh, do we do that? Yeah. When, when the paint is wet, what do we do? We touch it. Yep, it's wet. Keep off the grass. My senior trip in high school, we're at Kennedy's grave, and I've told this story many times. We're sitting there, and it says, do not touch the grass or the holly. And while the guy is talking and somebody's looking the other way, I grab some leaves off the holly and grass off Kennedy's grave and put it in my pocket. I still have it. I do. I still have it in a little box. Telling me what to do. It's a 70s. I'm a teenager. Nobody telling me what to do. Well, I've learned I've never outgrown it. I still don't like people telling me what to do. Do you? Listen, this morning someone say, when somebody tells me I have to read something, I don't want to read it. I feel the same way. For example, in your bulletin, there's a, there's a devotional Bible that we're going to be having available or you can find online if you like called the, uh, Jesus in Red Letters. It's a 365, you look on the back of the bulletin, it's right there. It tells you all about it. I want us to go through this together and I'd like you to, to join me. I'm going to be going through it. Alan found this book. Wonderful book. Wonderful idea. It takes about three minutes to do. But you know, some of you are going to say, I'm not doing that. Why? Because it's your idea, not mine. Now, if I'd have thought of it on my own, oh, so I need to use some trick psychology. I don't want you buying that book. I don't want you reading it. Well, now I'm going to. You're not telling me what to do. I can't win. That's the way we are. Again, rules are made to be followed. How can we flunk every time we do this? I do this two or three times a year. And we always say, broken. Yeah, that's what we, that's, because that's our, that's our nature, see. That's our nature. I don't like those traffic cameras in St. Louis. So what do we do? We, we've passed some ordinances and they're gone. They don't work anymore. No, we just don't like that. We're breaking the law, breaking the law. Look at this. The mind that thinks only of ways to please the sinful old self is fighting against God. See, it's our nature to be self-focused, independent. We're a part of the resistance. Huh? I was listen. I was reading an article. And I couldn't believe. I had to listen to the podcast. Oh, American Airlines had a woman come on board that had a shirt that said "Hail Satan" with an upside down cross under it. Black. Hail. Remember them? Not a fans. Remember the guff you got with that? Imagine wearing "Hail Satan," walking on American Airlines, and the stewardesses are like, "What?" She sits down. Stewardess walks up. Ma'am, you're going to have to leave. Why? What's wrong? It's your shirt. It's offensive. It's inappropriate. 
you can't make me leave this plane. This is a true story. You can't make me leave this plane. She goes, yes, I can. And she gets out the ordinance that says, uh, there's, a, there's a little rule here in American Airlines. If you wear something provocative or something we don't think is appropriate, you, we can ask you to leave the plane. And the plane is, people are waiting to go and they can't get anywhere because they're arguing. And finally the husband says, look, I got two layers of shirts on. Let me take this shirt off. Here, you wear it, honey. Does that help? And they said, okay. Suffice. And then they had a little tag in that article about the Hail Satan group. Well, I had to find out about these people. Who are they? Well, they're a religious group. But they're atheists. They don't believe in God and they don't believe in Satan either. Is that weird? What's their purpose? Well, they go around just resisting what the government tries to put on us that's anything religious. For example, they were behind getting this this, uh, monument uh, of Satan put in front of the Arkansas State Capitol right beside the Ten Commandments. They exposed that the Ten Commandments was kind of like a um, a movie promotion from, from Paramount during Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments and you could buy these tablets and lots of towns bought them to promote the movie and they displayed them in town. That's where they came from. And they exploit, they exploit this. They say, look at that. The government. They say, the Christians right now, we've got control of the government. I kid you not. They think we, what, what, they say, well, you know, a lot of the stuff, Christian stuff, you get to do, you, you get to have this, you get to have that, and we can't have this. Or, or so you, you, because you worship Satan. Oh, no, we don't worship Satan. What do you do? We just like resisting. Nobody's going to tell us what, no government's going to tell us what to do. And that's what they're about. 50,000 of them. That's how big their church is. 50,000. And all they do is go around looking for this, the problem. A rule they believe is unfair. And they resist it. Now before you get all crazy on them, I sometimes wonder how many times we've got this Hail Satan shirt on and we don't even, you know, it's not plain. But we have this Hail Satan attitude. Am I, am I close? I thought I was close because it got quiet. Were we, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to spend my money. Don't tell me what to give to. Don't tell me I got to be at this. Don't tell, and, and, and I, and I know sometimes we go, yeah, I remember part of a church where everything was dictated. Well, you know what? We've backed so far away from that. Now you're basically doing whatever you want. Is that the alternative? Is that, by the way, the, the Hail Saint people say, we believe in freedom. And how many times I hear people talk about the freedom we have in Christ. Well, finish the sentence to do what I want. I am set free. Paul said, I am set free to serve the one who freed me. You aware of your conflict? Anybody here beginning to go, you know what? Maybe I do have a conflict with God. Anyone that says, who sins breaks God's law. Yes, sinning is the same as living against God's law. Why is that a problem? Why is it? Why are these two kings getting into it? Because they have two different agendas. They're not on the same page. And see, we got to understand. We got to see something here. I know I got to see it. Is my brokenness and my sinfulness before the eminence and holiness of God? 
that I see this, that I remember this. Though I'm saved, I am a sinner that's prone to resist what God wants. It's prone to fight it. Prone to justify what I do. Isaiah 57 says this, there is no peace for the wicked, says my God. And you know, I know some of us here would say, that's right. There is no peace for the wicked. But I'm not wicked. You're not? No, I'm not wicked. What do you mean? Ah, wicked. That sounds like the wicked witch from the Wizard of Oz. Look at you and your little dog too. You know, that kind of wicked, evil, you know, head spinning, vomiting. The priest comes in and gets killed, you know. That's evil. That's wicked. I'm not that. You know what? You ever just do a search on what is another word for wicked? It's not just evil. Another word for wicked is mischievousness. Ouch. You ever get in a little mischief? <laughs> Whoops. I got into a little mischief. Well, the Bible says, you know, the, uh, the word wicked, not the Bible, the word wicked is equated to the word mischievous. Look here at Romans 3.10. No one in all the world is innocent. Just if, in case you think, well, I don't think I'm, the, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Listen, nobody's innocent. You're not innocent. I'm not innocent. Boy, I tell you, over the years, the moments I've been smug and superior to others. Because I think somehow I'm something because I'm a Christian. I remember one time I, I, I had some guys picking on me at high school. I, I weighed 98 pounds. I was real short, weighed 98 pounds. I know I've added some height and some weight, but at the time I was a little, I was the 98 pound weakling. And I remember people picking on me, but then my older brother would walk in the room and I'd get this attitude. You want to pick on me now? I'm sorry, let me say it this way. You want to pick on me now? Because that's really what it sounded like. And they'd look over at my brother. Oh, I was so... Like, I'm tough all of a sudden. I'm 98 pounds. I have tendons for muscles. You can see my ribs. And I eat. Sometimes, you know, as a Christian, I can get this smug, I'm better than everybody. I'm just, you listen, church, we're just sinners. We're just sinners, man. We're mischievous, rebellious, selfish people. We just need to accept that. Admit that. And maybe I wouldn't be so smug when I meet somebody that's down their luck. But it would also humble me, position me in a right place to go, oh God, I, I depend on you for peace. I can't make peace with you. See, that's the second thing I notice. And that is that I recognize how hopeless I am on my own. How hopeless I am on my own. If I want peace with God, I need to understand, uh, recognize the conflict, but also recognize how hopeless I am on my own. Luke 14. Here's this king. He's referring to the one with 10,000. If he knows he doesn't stand a chance of winning the war, the wise commander will send out delegates to ask for terms of peace. I, my mom and I were talking. I call my mom every week. I go, Mommy? He goes, yeah. We were talking about just all kinds of weird stuff. And finally, I said, I'm working on this lesson and I'm telling her about this point. 
And so I got to thinking, how long do you think it was between Adam and Eve being told they couldn't eat from the tree of knowledge and they actually did it? She goes, they probably did it that afternoon. <laughs> and I thought, man, that's some, I'm sure that maybe there's a little more time there the next day. But still, you know, it's pretty quick. You know, that's our that's what we do. You know, and and I noticed that here are these two people, they've got everything going for them, everything's perfect, and they get themselves in all kinds of messes. They get into mischief. And they've got themselves in this big mess so quickly. You know, on my own, on your own, it doesn't take long. We screw something up, right? We do something, say something, do something dumb. As par- the most powerful people in this room, you have lots of influence and position. Your bank account proves it. Listen, you, you, it didn't take you long, does it? On your own, you screw it up. In fact, people sit around around you sometimes and go, five, four, three, two, and you do it. These two, you know, this. I think about this king here and how hopeless the position he's in here. He doesn't stand a chance. He has all this power. But power, powerful people get themselves in jams. Saddam Hussein, powerful. You be getting a jam. Hitler, powerful. Get himself in a jam. Harvey Weinstein, powerful. Get himself in a jam. Bill Cosby, powerful. Get in a jam. He's serving right now. You can be real powerful and still you don't know what you're doing. You're hopeless. I'm hopeless. And for there to be any peace, I've got to first realize there's a, my, ten, my tendency to break the rules of God, that I break the peace treaty. But I also need to realize on my own, I cannot make peace. Romans 7, Paul, Paul the Apostle Paul, Pharisee, powerful man, had the whole Old Testament memorized, could could quote the whole all thirty nine books of the Old Testament, says these words, What an agonizing situation I am in. So who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcomed intruder of sin and death? He's saying, Man, I'm in a mess. I'm in a hopeless situation, and I don't have the power. Someone else does. And you know he finishes up saying Thank God it's Jesus. Thank God He's the one that has the power because I don't have it. I'm in a mess. Look at what he says in Ephesians 2. Paul goes on to say this in the church at Ephesus. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded, circle that word excluded, circle the word separated too. From the citizenship in Israel and foreigners, circle foreigners. To the covenants of the promise. Without hope, circle without hope. Without God in this world, oh, circle that. But now, now you circle now, circle that a lot. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, circle far away, have been brought near, circle big near, by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. doesn't say Tim is my peace. Bob is my peace. Mike is my peace. Don is my peace. Jim is my peace. Susan's my peace. Kim's my peace. Morgan's my peace. No. No. He Himself is your peace. 
my peace, your peace. He's the one that makes peace. And I just need to remember that. I'm lousy at keeping the peace. How about you? Number three, I call on someone who can negotiate peace with God. My brother's the one that gave me this point. We're talking. I said, Danny, there's a, I can't see it. I don't know what it is. There's something there. And he goes, oh, I see it. And he said, you got to have somebody to take care of it. you got to send somebody a long way off like that king. Notice it says there, he says, if he cannot succeed, he'll send a representative while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. You've got to have somebody to help you. Let me ask you, what do you do when you're in trouble? You're in legal trouble. Brown and Crouppen? Do you call the, those two guys? One of them looks like uh, Madison Kipmar with the eye patch. Is that the people you call? <laughs> how, about, how about Cordell and Cordell? By the way, I've asked Madison, dress up like that on Halloween. I'm telling you, it's perfect. Little suit, briefcase, eye patch. Who do you call? Cordell and Cordell. Ozzy called Cordell and Cordell. Yeah, Danny was telling me. Yeah, Ozzy. I remember one time we did a windshield for Ozzy Smith, and he was in this wonderful mansion. Then after Cordell and Cordell, he's in a smaller home. I wonder if Cordell and Cordell were the people to call. What do you call when you get a ta- traffic ticket? Jim? Jim, I'm in a jam. I need a traffic ticket fixed. Or Jim, uh, I I got a problem. I got a. And he, uh, there's times I'll say, Jim, I know I need some help with this, or I know somebody, a friend that has. He goes, I'm not the guy to talk to. Why not? I'm just not. I'm not the advocate. I'm not the lawyer. You need. You need this person. You need Amy, or you need this other fella. This guy's perfect for that. He's good in corporate law. You need to give him a call. And when you get in trouble, I mean, who do you call? When you were kids, remember? Mom, Dad. When you're teenagers, Mom, Dad. When you're 20s, Mom, Dad. When you're 30s, Mom, Dad. When you're in your 40s, Mom. Dad died. And in the 50s. Because it bless his heart, he helped you as long as he could. Mom, 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 Mom. When you're in, when you're in a gym, who do you call? Who do you talk to? I got, I'm about to do it. i got to get a hold of my sponsor. I'm about to... Have a relapse. Who do you who do you call in a jam? This king knows he has a huge problem. He knows he's doomed. He knows he can't succeed. And so what's he do? He sends out a delegate. He finds a representative, an advocate, a mediator on behalf of himself. The top three negotiators in the 20th century are in this order: Henry Kissinger, Teddy Roosevelt, and Nelson Mandela. If you want to know the top three in the last 100 years. These are the top three. Why? They don't budge. They're kind. Teddy Roosevelt, kind. One time he wounded a bear. And when he wounded the bear, he didn't want to kill it. He, he nursed it back to health. And this is where we, they called him Teddy Bear. You're such a Teddy Bear. You got this soft fixture. And, and you find out he was a tough negotiator with labor and stuff in the United States at the time. Nelson Mandela, we all know what he went through. He went to prison. And these guys are considered the greatest negotiators in the last 100 years. But I'll tell you what, the conflict you and I have with God, Nelson Mandela cannot help you with. Henry Kissinger ain't got a chance. And Teddy Roosevelt, no, ain't going to work. Who is my advocate? Who's going to stand as a mediator before God to make peace? 
is Jesus Christ. Look at this, what the Bible says here. 1 Timothy 2. God is on one side and all the people on the other side. And Christ Jesus Himself is between them to bring them together. And how does He do that? By giving His life for everyone. I think about you know this passage in Joel chapter 2. It says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's, by the way, used in the Old Testament once. There in Joel 2. You find it in Acts 2. And you find it in Acts 22 where someone's actually showing you how to call on His name. And you find it in Romans 10. And you say, why you got that verse in there, Tim, like that? Because calling on God is the one who is going to give me this peace. There's no other way to find it. No way to get it. I, again, I told you about Charlie Brown. I love Charlie Brown, that scene with Linus. And when he sits there and he comes out and lights please and the lights go down and he starts talking and he says, fear not. And when he says fear not and starts talking about Jesus, he drops his blanket. Man, that is awesome. Drops his blanket as he starts talking about Jesus Christ. And I couldn't help but think about what do I need to drop that Jesus says, just drop that. That worry, Tim. You can drop that. That fear. You can drop that. These are the things I have. That pride, Tim. That Just that stubborn pride. Drop it. You call on Jesus. When you talk about Jesus, when He's on your lips, these things get dropped in a hurry. Amen? They get dropped. They can drop them. Why? You can fear not. Why? Because He brings us peace that passes all understanding. Why should I call on the name of the Lord? Because Jesus has incredible influence over His dad. There's a passage up on the screen. Look at this one in 1 John. But if anyone sins, we have Jesus Christ to help us. He always did what was right. So He's able to defend us before God the Father. The NIV says you have an advocate. Another one says, you have somebody that defends you. It's like Jesus is standing in front of the, His Father and saying, Dad, as He's talking to Him, His Dad's looking at His Son and He sees the wounds. He sees the wounds in His hands and His feet. Turns around and points to you and I and sees the, the marks on His back and says, you remember how much you loved them? You gave me up for them. And they want peace with you. They want to fulfill what Linus is talking about. Having peace from you. You'll give it to him, right, Dad? Do me, a, do me a solid here. Do me a favor. Would you do it? What father would say no to a son like that? And when you and I sin, we have an we have a advocate. We have a, a, a defender. We have someone that speaks on our behalf and tells God, who is so holy and so pure, to forgive and have mercy on you and I. Praise God for that. That's the one I want. I don't want just anybody. I, Jim's a good lawyer. Jim and will do that for me. Cordell and Cordell, not after what they did to Ozzie. But Jesus? Man, there's the guy you need when you're in big trouble. I mean, I can just see him as he's talking to his father, showing his wounds. 
Isaiah says, He took the punishment we deserved and this brought us peace. The punishment was on Him. And the Father sees the punishment on His Son as He looks at you and I. Even, it says it here, Romans 5, it's up on the screen, and when we were God's enemies, He made peace with us. We didn't. We're enemies. We fight God. Because His Son died for us. Yet something even greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, we'll be saved by His Son's life. Look at this passage in Colossians. Paul just talking here about peace and talking about what it's like. He talks about this includes you when you were once so far away from God. You were His enemies and hated Him and were separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, praise God, yet now, He, who? Your advocate. Who? Your defender. The one that's between you and, and God. Now, yet He has brought you back as His friends. No longer enemies. Friends. He has done this through the death on the cross of His own human body. And now, as a result, Christ, as their advocate, has brought you into the very presence of God. And you're standing there before Him with nothing left against you. Nothing left that He could ever chide you for. Amen. That's the one you want to call on. The Apostle Paul called on the name of the Lord. How do I do this, Tim? What do you mean calling on the name of the Lord? What does that mean? A prayer? Well, look at this passage in Acts 22. And now why delay? He, Apostle Paul's told this. Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on His name. Now I know Paul had prayed three days. And I got to thinking, what do you think Paul was praying about? Oh man, I messed up. I didn't realize I was in a conflict with you. I had no idea I was fighting against you. Remember, he's told, why do you kick against the goads? That's a pointy stick. Why do you kick against that? You're fighting me. Now go into town, you'll be told what to do. And so he's told, get up and get baptized. So he's been praying about what? Being an enemy? I didn't realize it. Is he, is he praying, God, have mercy on me? Is there anything wrong with calling on the name of the Lord like that? Nothing at all. But it's more than just calling on Him and praying to Him. It's responding to His great mercy. What are you waiting for? Without delay. Why delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on His name. How do I call on His name? Well, one of the ways I call on His name is I literally pray and talk to the Lord. Another way I call on His, I call on his name when I depend on Him. That means turning from anything else. And I turn to Him and depend on Him and I obey Him. He's the King with 20,000. And it comes to this last point. To really make peace, I must surrender. I must surrender. When you're baptized, you're buried in water. You're buried. That means you're dead. You surrender. You give up. Look at this. He says here in Luke 14, if he knows he doesn't stand a chance of winning the war, the wise commander will send out delegations to ask for terms of peace. Likewise, unless you surrender all to me, you cannot be one of my disciples. I want you to get out your cell phones. I know some of you already have. How's Candy Crush going? Okay. 
Sorry. Oh, is that too soon? Okay. Yeah, get out your. I'm getting out mine. I'm going to get mine out. I, and I want you to go to Google or Safari or whatever you got there, and I want you to type in surrender headlines. Surrender headlines. Okay. You, are you serious, Tim? I'm going to do it. Just look up surrender headlines, and then go under images. Now, what do you see? What do you see on your phone? Japanese surrender. War over. Japan surrenders. Germans sign terms of total surrender. Germans surrender. These are headlines from World War II, aren't they? Let, let me show you a couple right there. Look at these two here. There's a difference between those two headlines. Do you see the difference? Let's read them. German uh, world waits war war's end amid German surrender reports. You know, it says, Peace, Japs accept allied terms. See, one is pending and the other one's actually happened. Have you noticed? Did you see that? There's rumors. Hasn't happened yet. Let me ask you. And by the way, uh, while they're talking about peace and surrender, is the war going on? Absolutely. They're still shooting each other, still fighting each other. And they, so the world is waiting. And then with Japan, we dropped a couple of bombs on them and wow, that kind of softened them up. And what do they do? Did you know they came to us with terms of peace? Well, we'll, we'll surrender if, if, and they go, no, no, no. It's unconditional surrender. And so when Japan finally finally surrenders, the headline is peace. See, when there's surrender, the war is over. I'm watching Band of Brothers right now. I'm watching the first episode, Kurahi. And I'm just I'm just I'm, I'm overwhelmed by it. What men in the military and women in the military had to go through just to fight. How many of them died before they even got in the battlefield? Just from training. For what purpose? To provide peace for me. Peace for you. And what I notice is, it's obvious when the war is over. How do I know it's over? Surrender is obvious. You with me? And according to Luke 14 here, he's saying that surrender and discipleship are connected. So if I want to, if I, if I'm going to surrender to make peace with God, it means I must become a disciple. Otherwise the war continues and the king is coming. I know many of you here have been baptized in that baptistry. Remember the day when you were baptized? Tell us what you believe about Jesus. And people would say, Bob, you, they'd say all kinds of things. Are you willing to make him Lord of your life? Absolutely. And I, I, I just believe this, just like at my baptism, total surrender. Total. Better be. It was. Remember how good it felt getting around a circle like those Who people in Whoville? Wahoo, Dory. They're just sitting there singing 
or you don't know the words, you don't care, you're listening. Tears. Your parents are there. Friends are there. They all give you advice on a circle. And we're all celebrating why. Because you finally listened and you know, you're not such a hard head. Well, no, because you, you have peace with God. Do you still have that peace? Do you still have? Is it still obvious who you've surrendered to? Or have you slowly begun to resist and find yourself saying and doing the most worldly or secular, God-not-involved kind of things? And you just go, boy, the journey from there to now has changed. I did show you that. I know the passage was in, on your notes back a few points. James 4, it says, if you're friends with the world, it's hatred toward God. You're an enemy of God. If you love the world, you're really hating God. And if you're a friend of the world, you're actually an enemy of God. He's saying that to Christian people. Is it obvious you have surrendered? Because when it is, you have peace. You're on the same side. You have the same agenda, the same plans. You're on the same page. And most of all, your conscience is clear. Look what it says, Job. You know, Job's friends, all the things they said weren't all bad now. And they said this to Job, and it's a true statement. Surrender to God, you will find peace. And that's true. That's what it really comes down to. Will I let go of my blanket? Will I give up? Will I stop fighting? Stop resisting? I know some of you here this morning, resistance has returned. And you need to surrender again. So why not on that card, I'm going to recommit my life to Christ. Just check that. Make a decision. Be serious about it and check it. Maybe you want to have some people pray for you. Maybe you want to write something out about something like that. Pray for me because I really want to surrender. I've been fighting God again. Some of you here, you, you've never been baptized or you've, people have you know, encouraged you to. And you just, for some reason, if the more they try to tell you, the more you resist. I'm going, man, uh, we're not going to stop encouraging you. We just feel like that's... Because we know by doing it what we, why it's so important. And it's one of the ways you call in the name of the Lord. And I just encourage you, what are you waiting for? Like the Apostle Paul, why do you wait? Like the world was waiting for Germany. Is Jesus the King waiting for you to finally surrender? You know, I'll tell you what. When two kings are going at it and one king asks for terms of peace while he's far away off and you've got time, he's giving you time, and you say, okay, your terms I surrender to when they finally do meet face to face. Wow. What a reunion, huh? No conflict. Nothing but peace. Wouldn't you like to have that? Let me encourage you to obey Jesus. Obey Jesus. Let me encourage you, if you've been baptized, to rededicate your life. 
to revisit your conflict with God and go, you know, Lord, I really need to surrender that again. Sometimes I've had to surrender something to God over and over and over and over. Because some of this stuff, well, let's face it, folks, God may wash away a lot of sins, but some of them are just stubborn and need a lot more washing, huh? A lot more scrubbing. And all we can do is just surrender. And He'll give us all kinds of peace. This is the lesson today. May God bless you with all kinds of peace. You've got a card there in your bulletin. If you want to fill that out, you can this morning. We don't have an altar call. We let you decide right where you are. We figure you can do that. You don't have to walk down the aisle. I want to give you time to do that. We're going to sing a song after I pray. And after that, we're going to sing another song. And we're going to take up those cards along with our weekly contribution. If you're a guest, listen to me. If you're a guest here, you're under no obligation to give. Nobody's going to look at you funny. If the plate goes by, oh, he didn't give anything. Now, if you're a member, you might get a funny look. Okay, I can't help that. But as a member, I'm just saying, you know, give generously. Give generously. God bless you. God bless you all kinds of peace this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, thank You for making peace. Father, we settle for less and call it peace, and it's not. We settle for less and say it's okay, and it's not. (laughs) And we fool ourselves, Father. Father, we're hopeless. We can't even maintain peace. Give us a few minutes with somebody and we can disrupt it. And just think about all the peace treaties that have been broken that man has put together. And Father, we pray that we thank You for a peace treaty that You give to us that cannot be broken. You won't break it. You refuse to. It's, it's written in blood from Your own Son. And so God, we pray that some of us here that just have, have been wrestling, we've been wrestling with some because we've been wrestling with You. We pray that we'll finally tap out and we'll just say, Lord, You can have Your way. Like Your Son Jesus, not my will, but Yours be done. Help us surrender to You. Help us admit how hopeless we are. We call to You, Father, for greater peace. We know that this peace, Father, without it, we cannot have peace within and we will never have peace with others. So we pray to have that, to experience Your peace. For some of us here, Father, that have just been kind of on the fence and we've been dragging our feet, Father, I just pray for Your Holy Spirit You'll encourage. Father, I know I waited a while and I waited too long. I fought You. I didn't want to get baptized. And Father, I finally, I just remember going, I'm tired of running. Father, You broke me. Father, I pray You break some hearts this morning. Create, Father, that peace again here at Greater Alton. Let there be peace, Father, on this earth and let it begin with each of us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.